Hey everybody, here's a teaser from today's episode. I've always felt that with tea, uh, that like innately, I just had this, always had this instinct and this feeling that if, if there was a creator, you know, if there's a God and the creator put all of these things on this earth for their, you know, for us to ingest, right? I always felt that tea was the plant that was designed for us to ingest for our own health. Welcome to the Mindful Medicina Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeanette Daniels. I'm a naturopathic medical doctor on a mission to inspire a renewed confidence in the intelligence of the human body. Tea is the most widely consumed beverage in the world, only second to water, not only because of its unique flavor, but also due to its various health benefits. The bioactive components in tea, such as polyphenols, polysaccharides, polypeptides, pigments, and the alkaloids are the main contributors to its health functions. Based on epidemiological surveys, the consumption of tea and its compounds in daily life have positive effects on cardiovascular diseases, cancer, liver support, obesity, and diabetes. The story of tea begins in China in 2737 BC, with India becoming one of the largest producers and consumers of tea in the world. Tea is revered not only for its medicinal properties, but also for sacred and ceremonial purposes. From Buddhist monasteries to the bustling streets of India, it makes its way to the UK just in time for tea time. Now you can find tea houses in most of your bigger urban jungle cities. This tea leaf, Camilla sinensis, makes for a great companion through your studies, meditations, quaint conversations, and healing journeys. Today, our guest, Jeannie Liu, is the proud owner of Miro Tea, a tea shop that first opened its doors in Seattle, Washington in 2007. With a decade and a half of experience, she has cultivated a haven for tea enthusiasts, offering a diverse selection of premium teas and a welcoming space for patrons to savor each cup. Jeannie's dedication to quality and commitment to sustainability has made Miro Tea a beloved local gem, fostering a deep appreciation of the art of tea in the heart of the Pacific Northwest. Here's our conversation today. So today we brought on um, a person that I have much respect for and am a frequent flyer in her tea house. Jeannie is here with us today. Welcome, Jeannie. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you, Jeanette, for having me. <laughs> of course. Now you're on my home court. Yes, it's awesome home court. <laughs> it's nice to be out of the store and be here. So we wanted to dive into some tea conversations, specifically on the medicine of tea. So tea is the number two beverage drink in the whole world. So I found that really fascinating. Some people might think coffee, <laughs> especially if you live in Washington. So I just wanted to first 
ask you how you came to this love of tea. Yeah. Um, I mean, my love of tea started very innocuously, um, which was drinking it as a child, um, being presented to me as, you know, through my family, through my grandparents who would drink it very casually, um, not formally at all, just something that they woke up to prepare for themselves. And it was just part of, you know, the day to day, like, you know, you would brush your teeth, you would drink water, you would, you know, take care of yourself and you would have a cup of tea is, you know, is what my grandfather always had by his side. And, um, and those kinds of things you don't really think twice about, you know, growing up. Uh, it wasn't until I was in college where I was looking, I was started drinking coffee uh, to basically it was, that's was what all my friends were drinking. Like that's as college kids do to stay up, to get work done. Uh, there, I just was drinking coffee with my boyfriend at the time and with my friends. And I found myself realizing that I, that coffee was not serving me. Um, it, I would stay up drinking coffee in order to uh, write my papers and I would wake up the next morning and read the papers and be like, what, what did I just write? You know, not like and everything was just scattered and, and, uh, and, and nonsensical and very poorly written. Uh, I, st- I was able to stay up, but my, my brain was somewhere else, clearly. And uh, I realized it just wasn't the thing um, that I should be reaching for to uh, for as a caffeine choice for me. And I also realized how jittery I got. And, um, and as I was trying to consider uh, other beverage options, I, I remember that tea was something that I grew up with and I should take more seriously. And um, I was introduced, I was, I was more deeply reintroduced to tea again um, through my boyfriend, who was a coffee drinker, but also a tea lover as well. And uh, as I was exploring tea, he was like, hey, come, like, you know, come with me to um, my favorite tea shop. And at the time, it was a tea shop in Seattle called Tea House Kuan Yin. It was on Wallingford. I'd been there for a very long time. And um, the owner at the time, uh, his name was James Leib, I believe was his name. Um, he was... Uh, had gone through several owners, but the, that he was the owner at that time. And uh, he was a wine sommelier from New York who had moved to Seattle and bought, purchased this business. And uh, he curated um, a wide selection of tea and it gave me a wind, um, kind of a, the ability to explore tea, but more broadly, not so much as in like drinking only just Chinese green tea like I grew up drinking, um, I was suddenly able to have access to a, a whole world of tea and, um, and through ultimately his palate and he had a very, very good palate for tea and, uh, and knew very clearly what each of the categories of teas, what they should be tasting like. He had a very good strict standard. Um, and so through him and through drinking, exploring his teas, I was able to educate myself, re-educate myself and, um, as I kind of re-entered and developed a new love of tea kind of on my own uh, for, for myself at that time. And so that kind of was kind of the beginnings of that. And um, from there, I was able to then explore tea over time. And it wasn't until I decided to open my own business that I then kind of reshifted my focus onto tea again in this other way, which was in the form of a business. So... Yeah, so it's just been a kind of progression over my whole life. That's awesome. <clears throat> I remember when I was a kid going over to my friend Holly's house, and I mean, I was probably like nine or 10 years old, and 
I'd walk into the kitchen and her mom would always be um, sipping on some black tea with cream mm. and sugar. Uh-huh. <laughs> and at the time, I didn't know what it was. And I was like, oh my God, that smells so good, yeah. right? Yeah. And then that stayed with me for a really long time, just that smell of that tea. Um, and so I hadn't thought about that in a long time until I was prepping for this conversation. I was like, oh, that's right. I have this huge imprinting on me from when I was a kid of how delicious that tea would always smell and how I always wanted to take a sip of it, right? Yeah. But uh, but we were raised Mormon and mm. we weren't allowed to have caffeine. So I knew it was a no-no, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> but anyways, so that was my first exposure to tea actually is just the smell of it, you know. Um, so as far as education goes... Have you done any travels, traveling or, you know, any classes? How do people learn about tea? I mean, um, the best way to learn about tea is, I mean, you, there's so much access to information out there now. There's, uh, you know, you could, you could, you could pose the question onto Google and, you know, and it'll, you'll get pretty good answers actually these days. Uh, when I was exploring, I mean, there was Google for sure, but uh, I was reading books. I started out like as I was diving, trying to learn more about tea and my interest became more and more pronounced. I started reading more about book uh, about tea through various different um, books that people have published on the subject, and um, and as far as tea travel, like that didn't get I didn't get started on tea traveling because I didn't have the um, the financial access or the or the time and uh, to be able to travel for tea up until it wasn't until like maybe like ten years ago that I was able to finally be able to travel for tea. Um, but I had been traveling, you know, since I was a kid uh, to Asia. But as far as for tea specifically, it was um, in regards with the business. And it was started at 10 years ago is when I finally was able to financial, you know, mm-hmm. bearing to be able to afford it. And yeah. that was such a luxury um, for me. And it still is. It's such a privilege to be able to do that. Uh, but yeah, as for people who can't travel and, and learn about tea, you, I would say the best way is to like pick up some big, good books, read about the kind of the fundamentals about what tea is, what is the differences of the of tea, what make tea what it is, and how tea is produced and processed and where tea comes from, um, why culturally tea is important for all the various cultures of the world. Um, and then ultimately just go and drink as much tea as possible because really the best way to learn about tea and how I ultimately learned about tea and and um, and got my deeper understanding and appreciation for tea was to just drink lots and lots of tea from everywhere and from every source. And um, so what you end up doing is that you're creating a wide breadth of knowledge and experience within yourself um, and so that you are able to then gauge for yourself what you enjoy um, to develop for yourself, like what something should taste like, you know, what you want something to taste like. And um, finding really, really good, honest sources for tea is also obviously a very important uh, part of that. And uh, finding people who are knowledgeable about tea so that you can trust them and then you can then know that if you're drinking a certain category of tea or certain type of tea that you are drinking an authentic version of that tea. drinking tea that is uh, fairly sourced, that is sourced um, as close to the source as possible. That means as little middlemen in between as possible mm-hmm. um, will get you um, more more honest 
um, just what's how do I say this? You'll you'll get the product. Um, you'll know that the product is more um, clearly sourced and more honestly sourced from where it is from. Like it's mm-hmm. like what it's what like sustainable? Yeah, it's more sustainable. Um, you know that the that the product is going to be more honestly represented. I think that's what I was trying to say. Um, when it's more direct, mm-hmm. as closely to, to direct as possible. Mm-hmm. So going into the conversation around culture, since you brought it up, so you and I had thrown around when I saw you at the tea tea house the other day. You know, tea culture versus yeah. coffee culture, yeah. and how. There's different types of people who drink tea and different types of people who drink coffee. What's your take on that? I mean, so before I opened Miro, I actually went and worked in a coffee shop for two years. Um, And I did that intentionally because, A, I had grown up in family business my whole life. And I want, and I, so I knew how to run a shop technically, but it was this kind of, um, mom and pop, you know, restaurants, right? Like my family restaurants and and such. But for me, I felt like to be a well-rounded business person, I really needed to kind of um, get more variety of experience. And uh, and I wanted to know what it was about coffee shops that people gravitated towards them, you know? Like I, um, the type of tea shop that I had uh, envisioned to open would have... Uh, was supposed to have the um, the kind of that vitality, that that warm uh, energy and welcoming energy that a coffee shop often has, and um, the kind of the draw of the third space that people um, gravitated towards for a coffee shop. So I wanted to know what it was that they did well, and what is the, what 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 is the you know for me not being a coffee drinker, I was like, what is it about coffee that people love about mm-hmm. coffee shops, right? And um, so I did. I worked in a coffee shop. I managed one for like a year, year and a half, and um, learned um, very uh, personally, like kind of what the difference was of a coffee shop, of a coffee customer Mm -hmm. and a tea customer ultimately, you know. And uh, the reality is coffee customers and tea customers are very much the same. There's a lot of overlap, actually. A lot of uh, my current tea customers are... Uh, people who drink coffee in mm-hmm. the earlier part of the day and then tea the rest of the day, let's say, right? Um, but the hardcore coffee drinkers are very different from the hardcore tea drinkers, <laughs> I will say. Um, I've been in coffee, I've been in food service business since I was a child, since I was 13 years old, and I've been around customer service um, my whole life. and uh, And I've always enjoyed it. And I will confess that working in a coffee shop was the first time I did not enjoy coffee, uh, customer service mm-hmm. where I was confronted on a daily basis like very you know inpatient and um, and very particular uh, customers who I wasn't I would just was not used to mm-hmm. dealing with um, I and versus my tea customers right now who are like we are all we, we, you know, my, my customers are like my equals. There is no like this kind of customer service mindset, you know, like I'm a host for them in my space and they come into my space and we welcome each and we greet each other very happily. And there's a, there's kind of a relaxation and there is a sense of like camaraderie and, uh, and, uh, and a recognition of each other as people. And that's comes before the like, can, you know, their order, right? Mm-hmm. Like, can I get a whatever tea or whatever? And so, 
And um, I really love that about my customers. And I didn't, I found that to be harder to find. You know, it's like there's definitely that kind of interaction in coffee business and coffee shops, but it was um, more lacking, I felt. Mm -hmm. So sorry to insult anybody felt <laughs> insulted as a coffee business but it I mean it was difficult I mean I, I think barista coffee baristas they uh, they definitely deal with a lot yeah so, I was yeah. a barista for quite a while before yeah. I actually yeah. went to medical school I <laughs> really? actually had like five jobs before medical wow. school uh-huh. uh, but one thing that I do notice as well is like something that you spoke about is the impatience yeah. and I feel like coffee has this energy of sympathetic tone relative to the parasympathetic, which is relaxed. Yeah. You know, when you get a cup of coffee, you're getting it to slam it so you mm-hmm. can go about your day and get that adrenal kick in, you mm-hmm. know? And then the opposite is true with tea, where you're actually using it to bring you back down. Mm-hmm. And so you're there to decompress yeah. instead of press. I would say coffee is the press yeah. <laughs> to get you to get through the day and then... The tea is the decompress. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say, like, you know, and one thing I think, yeah, as you bring that up, what, what I notice is that there's just an, the intentionality of, like, why somebody would go into a coffee shop and choose coffee versus somebody who goes into a tea shop and chooses tea, there is actually, a diff- it's a di- very different choice. You know, it's like you said, you, you know, someone goes to a coffee shop to get that jolt and to get that wake up so they can go about their day and whatever it is that they're trying, aiming to get done someone who chooses tea, there is something beyond that. You know, maybe they want caffeine, but they're also making a conscious choice of, um, hey, I, I feel like this is something that's better for my body. Like, I know this is mm-hmm. like, you know, a, a more beneficial choice. This is a, um, uh, a ease, like a more gentle choice for my body. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, and I'm, and there's a, there's kind of also an aspiration for like the life that they want to live is all presented in that choice. Mm-hmm. So they want to relax. They won't, but yet at the same time, they also want to indulge themselves in something that is like moment of peace and moment mm-hmm. of relaxation while they're getting their caffeine as well. Yeah. And it, there's something ceremonial to it. Absolutely. And an energy about it, especially because each tea type has a different energy. Um, and so there sort of it gets created a relationship while you're in exchange with that tea. Of course. So um, I would say that, you know, and again, like you said, not trying to, to diss on coffee drinkers <laughs> coffee houses, but... It's just a different energy, and uh, it brings people together. So does coffee, yeah. but tea really brings people together. I think in a different type of communion and worship, and you see that in other cultures as well. You know, yeah. um, what I found really interesting is that Washington state didn't even list as top 10 for most coffee drinkers oh yeah it wow. wasn't even top 10 interesting right as the kind of like the coffee shop like mecca you know exactly so, yeah, uh-huh. yeah they were not even top 10 so uh top three coffee states were actually alabama oh. alaska and arizona really mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then for tea drinkers washington came in at number eight uh-huh with Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, Utah, and California as being top five tea drinkers. Interesting. I know. 
And this was all pretty recent, like 2023 data. So, yeah, so I found that super interesting on on the culture. And then since we're on the topic of fast versus slow energy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we have what I call fast tea and slow tea. So like you were mentioning to me the other day that China and Japan have a different energy around their tea. Yeah. Could you yeah. go into that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, I mean, when I opened Miro, it, it was, uh, I envisioned it based on the kind of the stories my father would tell me about Chinese tea house culture. Uh the Chinese tea houses of, you know, like a hundred years ago, let's say, uh, would be these kind of boisterous, large gathering spaces, um, particularly for men back then. With the neighborhood men would come bring their bird cages. Everybody was like collecting, they were into collecting canaries and birds. And they would bring their birds and they would come to their neighborhood tea shop because that's where that's where all their friends were, would be, and that's where they gather, and they would spend their day um, communing there. Basically, they would um, have their tea order. They would sit down. They would read. They would discuss. They would meet, and um, and that's where they would spend their time. Um, and that was a major part of how they spent their time. You know, it's a large part of how their day was used. And uh, and so it and it would be boisterous. It would be loud. It would be um, very active. There would be people coming in who would be bringing food. It'd be people in coming in like doing like ear cleanings, you know, as you're drinking tea. And there's like a lot of activity that would be happening. There may be like spontaneous singing or like you know or um, and such. But um, but uh, and that it, I don't know of how much of it is because of just that is part of the culture or because it's just, you know, the population density, you have these like large numbers of people, you're going to have large gatherings of people. Um, But the Japanese tea um, culture is more centered around Zen Buddhism, which was ultimately adopted by, from China um, hundreds of years ago. Uh, But when they adopted, so when the um, Buddhist monks arrived in China and uh, were learning about Zen Buddhism, that is also where they had learned about tea drinking as well. Uh, that's actually the, the kind of where matcha came from as well. Uh, at that time, when the Zen Buddhists were studying in China, the, uh, the form of tea that was being drunk at the time in China was a powdered ground tea, which in Chinese was called mocha, and uh, which literally means ground tea. And mocha sounds a lot like matcha, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's where that name came from. And, uh, and as the monks were, uh, and the tea was being drunk by monks because it helped keep them awake and alert while they were doing long meditation sessions. And so when the Zen Buddhist monks then brought the tea, tea seeds and the tradition and, and the ceremony to Japan, um, and sort of incorporating that within Japan and ceremonializing it and such. The the culture and the history of Zen Buddhism plus the matcha ceremony and drinking uh, all kind of stayed and uh, became expanded and much more um, kind of uh, institutionalized, you know, in within Japanese culture and became its own thing. It's very much a Japanese thing now. You know, it's not so much of a Chinese cultural um, thing anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, so within Japanese tea culture, it was, or at least 
or um, I don't know about tea houses. Yeah, probably in their tea houses and such. It's more about like quiet and kind of serenity and 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 looking and having tea in relationship with its, with oneself versus having tea, something that's more extroverted in China, which is like tea and community and, you know, and, uh, and as a form of socialization, you know, so with everybody else. And so it's a, it's a different side. It's on the same, same coin, you know, what tea can offer. You can either use tea to connect with others or you can use tea to connect with what, with yourself. And, um, it's, it's one of those great things about tea. Mm, I love that. Awesome. Yeah. So where, I mean, cause we know that, you know, obviously tea can come from China. Mm -hmm. Um, where else can you source tea from and where do you personally source uh, your your tea from? I mean, at this point, tea comes from, I mean, originally tea came from China and it expanded, you know, in the peripheral uh, countries away from China, like Japan and such. And so in Vietnam and, and in Indonesia and further and further out. And then they discovered tea in India, um, tea... And uh, and such, and so you have tea in Africa. Tea pr- is produced in almost every continent now. I feel like, except from like maybe Antarctica. Um, but uh, and we and we source from every single tea tea producing country, almost every single one. We don't have a African tea right now, which is something I'm working on. Um, but we did before, and uh, and so yeah, I source tea from everywhere, including countries that are uncommon for tea drinking, like Colombia, let's say, Colombia, South America, in South America, um, there we are able to get tea from there, um, you know, from regions that you wouldn't expect uh, is some of the funnest parts for me to, like, places for me to source tea because it's it's part of my ability to be able to, like, educate customers on um, alternative sources for tea, right, Alter- alternative countries for tea, but um, yeah, but we we carry tea and I source teas from all over. You know, your traditional countries like Japan and and China and and uh, and everywhere. But like in India and such, of course. But uh, we also get tea and herbs from like more uncommonly known countries like Colombia and Russia mm. and such. Oh wow! Yeah, and a lot of people aren't really in the know about tea itself. And so I want to make a point here to kind of go into what is the tea leaf, right? Because Mm -hmm. you and I both know that herbal tea is not the same thing as the tea that we're talking about, Mm -hmm. right? So can we maybe differentiate the, the tea leaf that, you know, is the product of several different kinds of tea, black, white, green, et cetera, versus herbal? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Tea, which is something something that always blows people's minds, um, is that all tea that is in terms of true tea, uh, we consider true tea is black tea, green tea, uh, white tea, oolongs, poor, um, and as you've pointed out earlier, it was like dark teas and yellow teas. Mm-hmm. Those uh, all come from what is a plant called Camellia sinensis, and and that and the word T E A uh, is it literally means uh, in reference to a beverage that's made from the Camellia sinensis plant. What we use more casually in our day-to-day, what we call tea, um, as people, we just, you know, we're like, we drink peppermint tea and we have, you know, even in our gardening, we have compost tea. Like, you know, anything that's infused is called tea, like more, that we refer as 
tea more casually, uh, that's that's not that's an inappropriate use of that word. Um, so so the true meaning of tea is actually a beverage made from the Kamehameha Sinensis plant. Mm-hmm. When I was in the Peace Corps um, way back in the day, oh yeah, um, yeah, I lived in Grenada, in wow. West Indies. And they, when I got there, they, they started offering me this tea. They, and they, they said, would you like some tea? And so I'm thinking to myself, you know, like a black tea or something. Uh-huh. And they hand it to me and it's chocolate milk oh. <laughs> or like hot chocolate, you know. And they take their the, the cacao oh. and they add cinnamon and ginger and nutmeg, oh. et cetera. And they actually call their hot cocoa tea. Interesting. So that, yeah. So there's a lot of misnomers out yeah, there, right? Like, yeah. what is tea? Right. And so it's like super on point what you're saying is like peppermint tea. Well, <laughs> it's not really tea, but, yeah. you know, and your hot cocoa is not really tea. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So what I wanted to do next was to get into conversing about the top 10 teas yes. that are out there. And before we do that, I thought it would be really good to go into the conversation around oxidation because this is what creates the different types of Mm -hmm. tea. This is the biochemistry reaction Mm -hmm. that occurs to give us our black versus our green and our white. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Could you tell us what the heck oxidation means? Yeah. And so, yeah, like I said, all these different categories of teas, black, green, white, and such, um, they all mean... Uh, they're all forms of Camellia sinensis. But the way that these categories are differentiated is based on its processing. And the primary um, difference, well, there's each of these teas goes through, um, categories go through a variety of different processes. But the way that they're ultimately categorized and differentiated is based on oxidation level. And so if you want to start from the, like the, least oxidized to the dark to the most oxidized you start with white tea which has zero oxidation and least amount of processing mm-hmm. and then you go next to green tea which is also non-oxidized um, but it goes through a heating process a kill green process which de-enzymes the plant and um, makes it more absorbable for the body to um, inge- uh, process the, the the tea when you're drinking the brew and then you go through the semi-oxidized category, which is considered to be oolong. And oolong has the widest variety of uh, tea out there. You have anything from like this kind of lighter, greenish kind of uh, flavored tea to something that's like dark to almost like, t- tastes almost like a black tea. And, um, and that's because it falls in the category of being semi-oxidized. And semi-oxidized would be anything from like, I believe, like 20% to like 80% oxidized would be fall under oolong. So that's pretty broad. So then that's why you have this like really broad and varied spectrum of teas in the oolong category. And then the um, most oxidized would be then black tea. It goes through 100% oxidation, which gives it that dark, um, uh, deep, rich, you know, flavors of different like levels of like, you know, you have maltiness and all that. And so that is what black tea is, is because it's 100% oxidized. Mm. Yeah. Does the oxidation sort of uh, reflect how long it's maybe cooked or heated? Oh, yeah. So um, so oxidation just means exposure to air and, and sun. Oh. And so like you would, uh, you know, like rusting on metal is oxidation, it's a form sure. of oxidation, right? Uh, 
So tea, when it's been processed, it has this kind of like its natural oils and moisture that is still in the plant, right, and the leaves. And so when that when that leaf is then like exposed to air um, and sun, then it goes, it oxidizes. Mm-hmm. It starts changing. The color starts darkening, and it starts it changes the flavor. Basically, it happens is oxygen and and sunlight. If there is sun exposure, uh, count interacts with the you know the catechins and amino acids and all the all the stuff that's that exists in a tea leaf, and uh, and it starts affecting and changing over the flavor and the like the characteristic of the leaf. And so, um, so how much time the the maker chooses to leave the plant out in air, like in open air, will affect like the oxidation level of the tea, of the tea plant. Would the length of time in the air and the sun increase caffeine content? Like the more oxidized teas, would they tend to have more caffeine? Uh, well, in the subject of ca- caffeine, um, it's a little bit uh, like it's there's different theories around the caffeine level and oxidation and um, and the processing of the teas. Because it, like the common belief is that black tea has the most caffeine, but it's been kind of shown that like that tea the caffeine level of a tea is varied based on the um, the leaf. Plucking, like, is it more tippy? Is it mostly tips, or is it the second leaf, or is it like, you know, is there a lot of stem in the in the in the in the tea? Because the the tip, actually, the first tip, the first flush of that of the of the of the plant, the tip has the most caffeine content, actually, of all okay. the leaves on a branch on a tea plant, and so so that affects the the caffeine level, right? And um, is the leaf broken when it's being processed? Is it is it a cut leaf? So tea, and then so then therefore the brew brews faster and stronger. Then you're gonna absorb more caffeine because more caffeine is going to be released into the water. Uh, so all of those are variables that affect caffeine level versus the processing. Because what happens is that is the 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 amount of caffeine that's in a on a leaf whether it's in a white tea or in a black tea, if the same size leaf or same plucking of that leaf is going to be the same. But the um, the way you brew it, the way the hot water, like how much like typically hot, like black tea is brewed with boiling water, right, let's say. But people might brew uh, uh, white teas, green teas in a lighter temperature. That's going to release, it's going to affect the release of uh, mm-hmm. of caffeine and tannins and such, right, differently. So all of those things actually affect how much caffeine mm-hmm. you are able to get out of the tea leaf. Would it be safe to say in in order of, I guess, maybe least caffeine to highest caffeine, if somebody wasn't sure, what would it be? Would it be like? Um, I think the most caffeinated tea that people never expect is matcha. Um, that will ha- give you the most caffeine. It's the highest caffeine. Because you are ingesting the leaf when you're drinking matcha, you are uh, the the leaf is ground and it's whisked, and then when you drink it, you drink the brew and the leaf together, right? And so that's why matcha would have the most caffeine. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and then after that, I would say, like in terms of, I wouldn't say that's because it's more caffeine, but it's more because of the leaf shape and the way it's processed, as far as like 
leaf size, like more broken edges, more surface space, uh, would make it uh, make their the brew have more caffeine. Would be black tea probably for sure because um, you're in, when you infuse black tea, you're using boiling water. Typically, black tea is not whole leaf like what people usually drink is not whole leaf black tea. And uh, so you're going to extract more caffeine out of there. And then next would be like probably like your Japanese green teas, like your senchas, uh, because they are also broken leaf as well. Uh, probably will have a lot of caffeine, like have really high levels of caffeine. And then from there, you're probably then going to go into like white teas and uh, or green tea. Other green teas, oolongs, and um, white teas probably mm. having the least. But but it, it's it's all kind of it's a little bit uh, deceptive when I say like when I categorize them that way because like I said it really depends on individual how they're brewing the tea, mm-hmm. the leaf material. Like you know because white tea it's only I'm only saying white tea at the very end because I'm assuming people are drinking like whole leaf, unbroken leaf. Um, white tea, but there's a lot of white tea out there that's just, you know, that's like very finely cut. And mm-hmm. so if you're doing that, then you're probably getting more caffeine. So, huh. yeah. The only way to avoid it, caffeine really is to have the the herbals. Correct. Uh, yeah. yeah. And we use the term tea, herbal tea loosely. Yeah, yeah herbal tea, <laughs> or if you're drinking um, like a stem tea, like your hoji chas, which is like primarily stem and uh, the stem of a tea plant has no caffeine, so you can drink technically a tea beverage that has no caffeine. I so. love that one. Yeah, I love that. I tea. love it too. Oh, yeah. That one's so good. Great. I haven't had hot any. or iced. Oh, that one's so good. Yeah. Um, okay, so I wanted to go into the top ten teas, uh, and this is coming from tasteatlas.com. So mm. these are the most popular teas in the world. Okay. And then if you can, if you want to plug in anything and, you know, interject, please do. Sure. All right. So the most common tea in the world is black tea. Mm-hmm. Every, everyone's drinking black tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's, as you noted, heavily oxidated. Yeah. And then number two, which is one of my favorites, is matcha. Yeah. And it says here that matcha is covered, so it grows in the shade. Correct. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, it's it's really amazing how matcha is produced and how that whole category of tea is made. Shade-grown teas, um, when I was in, the, in Japan, more recently I was able to see some of that happening. Um, basically, you have some categories of tea. So matcha is made from tencha, Tencha is the final leaf material that is produced before they grind it to make matcha. So matcha, yokuro, kabusecha, uh, these are some of the tea categories that are um, made uh, by what they do is at the very end before, three, about three weeks or so before they harvest, they tarp, they cover all the tea plants um, with this kind of black shaded tarp um, above this, like there's rows and rows of tea. And um, and then when when you deprive the plant of sunlight, the tea will then try to try you know do all it can to try to absorb sunlight, right? And so it sends a lot of energy and a lot of polyphenols like up and chlorophyll up to the um, kind of the the first like young leaves, right? Because it's trying to preserve the health of their of their tender young leaves, and it prioritizes them, and so it sends all of that energy up to those leaves in order to have those leaves absorb as much sunlight as possible. 
And as that happens, like within three weeks, they like, like after three weeks, they then like cut down that, um, that those, those young, young, young buds. And then that is what's used to make these shade grown teas, these categories like the Kabuse, Yokoro, and Tencha. And um, the result of which is then like this, you get this kind of luscious, rich, deep, savory um, uh, green tea that is, has is like so much umami and so much depth and so much richness, richness and so much complexity and flavor, but also um, like for like beneficially, like you get also this like much more higher concentrations of like L-theanine and caffeine and all this and all the other com um, chemical components that are beneficial in tea drinking. So it's it's pretty amazing how they figure that out. Yeah, it's yeah. like they're being challenged <laughs> and it makes them stronger. Yeah, they make them right? stronger, they make them better. The plant just knows what to do in order, and so then we figured out how to, you know, take advantage of that, right? Oh, God, I love that one. That's amazing. Okay, so after that is green tea, mm -hmm. number three. Mm -hmm. So green tea is non-oxidized, produced by the process called kill green, mm -hmm. in which the leaves are heated by steaming or pan frying to stop the oxidation. Yeah, so Chinese teas are the ones that are pan fired. Japanese green teas are steamed. I do this talk with my employees when I'm doing their training, their tea training, like T101 training mm -hmm. for new hires. And um, for listeners, the way that you would understand Chinese versus Japanese green teas is that with Chinese green teas, when there's pan-fired, it's like imagine broccoli, you know, what it tastes like when you pan-fire, saute a broccoli versus when you steam a broccoli, how the flavor is very different, right? Mm -hmm. Same broccoli, but different flavor profiles, primarily because of the way it was heated and cooked. So the same effect is true for tea. Oh, that's a yeah. great analogy. Nice visual. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then number four, we have oolong. Yes. A semi-oxidized tea falling somewhere between green and black. It is one of the most complex varieties regarding production. Oxidation can vary between 10 and 80%. The less oxidized styles resemble green and the more oxidized resemble black. And incidentally, oolong tea is the tea that I drink every morning. Oh, interesting. It's also <laughs> one of my favorite categories. Ooh. You know, if I could drink one type of tea, if I had, if I had to drink only one type of tea, it would be oolong myself. Mm. It has such a big following of tea drinkers these days. Yeah, and we'll go into um, the benefits of oolong um, later on in, in all of these. But yeah, I was super excited to hear about the benefits of oolong since I drink it every morning. Uh, number five is white tea that is lighter in color and a more delicate flavor and mm -hmm. non-oxidized, mm -hmm. as you noted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say white tea is, when you're drinking white tea, you're drinking the tea in its pu most pure form because it's been un minimally, most the least handled of all the tea categories. Oh. So. Mm -hmm. I almost, I mean, because I have... I started my tea journey off drinking black. Mm -hmm. um, I could almost not taste the white. You know, you, uh -huh. it's it's a sensitive tongue right. that can appreciate the white. It's very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a totally opposite spectrum for sure. Okay, number five, pu'er. Yeah. Yeah, that one's, I've got a lot of friends who like that one, especially people who do ceremony. Yeah. That's known as aged or vintage uh -huh. That's produced exclusively in the, U, uh, what is it, Yunnan? Yunnan province. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yep. 
two types, raw and non-fermented, right. can yeah. be left loose or compressed into brick tea, cake tea, mushroom, or bell-shaped tea. And I know what they're talking about. They come in like these little wraps, patties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's and that, the reason why for that is because Pu'er is actually the mother of all teas. It's what where tea actually com- like originates from. Um, it's actually, tea originates from Yunnan province. It also uni- originates in the form of pu'er. Because, um, and the reason why it's compressed in those different shapes is because it makes it easier to transport. So this tea was primarily what was used for trading and for transportation through China, through the Silk Road and such, right? And so you, it's hard to transport bags of tea, but it's much easier when it's compressed into like, you know, cake form or brick form. Amazing. So, yeah. It's like little coins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or you could little like little mini coin shape ones that we have now, which are so convenient for mm-hmm. travel for our own use. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. All right. So then we go into number seven is Darjling. Oh, Did I say that right? Darjeeling? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That one from India. Yes. Named after the City. Yes, the region of Darjeeling, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, I've traveled to Darjeeling before. It's pretty pretty amazing over there. I mean, let, let's go, let's talk about India for a quick second, yeah, just yeah. because I have an obsession over India. Is that right? Even though I've never <laughs> been there, and I just want to go there just so I can have tea in oh, a bag. Oh, you should go, yeah. <laughs> so, so what is the fascination or the ceremony or the spirituality do you feel around India's drinking of tea? Because they are one of the um, countries that drink the most tea. They do. They do drink a lot of tea. Um, India's tea culture is really interesting because it was, it actually was brought on, they actually learned it from the colonials that were there, you know, the British um, that were there. The British had uh, historically had been important, Exporting, importing tea from China into into England, and uh, Europeans were doing that, right? Like for for many, many, many years. And um, when the British colonized India, they uh, were trying to grow tea in Darjeeling area. Actually, like there was a um, there was a botanist who had s- uh, smuggled himself into China and stole some tea uh, tea seeds. And in an effort to like try to like grow tea in India because they were importing so much tea from China that it was bankrupting the 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 treasury, you know. And so like so they so they wanted to grow tea in India so that they could start producing it there. But um, but what they found is that there was actually tea plants that was native in India, which is the Assam plant, the Camellia sinensis Assamica plant, which is native. Um, tea plant in the Assam region of India, which is very close to to Darjeeling, actually. And um, and th- as the British, you know, as they, you know, the they were uh, li- occupying India basically, and the people who the Indian, the native Indians who were living there and working for the British, they gained exposure to tea through through them, as you know, as their basically their employers or their masters or however you want to call them at the time. And um, as Indians learned to make, and, and the British were making tea with milk and sugar and such, right? Mm-hmm. And so so Indians in their own homes, they adapted it for their own tastes by adding their own native spices like cardamom and, and such. And so, um, and it's another one of those examples of how tea spreads and, um, and it starts 
developing and reflecting its the, the culture of the people who adopt it, right? And mm-hmm. and uh, and as a result, is is one of the most consumed beverages in India, if not the most consumed beverage there. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty neat to see that. And then when you travel to India, you you chai is made and produced in all, all different ways, depending on region, depending on household, and uh, and it's a part of their day to day ritual of like getting up and. The mothers would make chai and uh, for the family and uh, and everybody the mother has their own secret recipe and and guests are greeted with chai and it's just uh, it's embedded in in their culture now yeah and from what I understand chai actually just means tea correct right so yeah. if you said ta- chai chi- tea you're yeah. saying tea tea correct yeah right? yeah chai is just another way of saying cha which is the Chinese way of saying tea mm-hmm. so yeah mm-hmm. or the Mandarin version of tea that is so. Yeah, I yeah. think I think that non non tea drinkers dip their toe in the tea world with mm-hmm. chai first, don't you think? I agree. It's yeah. Kind of- <laughs> yeah. I mean, why not? It's so delicious, right? Yeah. All those delicious herbs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so number 8 on that list is English breakfast from the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. A blend of as you had just mentioned, a psalm Ceylon, Chinese, and Kenyan black mm-hmm. tea. So it's a combination. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, historically, English breakfast tea was just um, just whichever tea that they were able to get. You know, it was not usually a blend. Historically, it's usually like it, it started out as just being a Chinese black tea that they had gotten for, for decades. And then as they were getting tea from, from India, because they no longer needed China for tea, they, it just was an Assam tea, you know, and uh, or, or Darjeeling that they were producing. Um, and then as they got more and more, as, there, as tea became uh, kind of more widespread, you have tea from Sri Lanka and all these other areas, you have uh, what's then become a English breakfast blend, you know, mm-hmm. a blending mm-hmm. of all these different teas to create that kind of distinctive, like, like nice floral, but yet like, you know, like hearty black tea. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. A good one. All right, number nine, Ceylon. We just mentioned mm-hmm. Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about that one. Yeah, Ceylon is what a lot of people, a lot of customers. I remember when we first opened, they would come in and ask for a orange pico tea, and uh, thinking that it was a tea that tasted had had orange flavor to it, an orange pico. But when, what orange pico actually what represents is it's a grading system. It's uh, there's like a whole different like there's a like a whole line of words um, to grade a tea and then orange pico happens to be a grading uh, for tea spe- specifically for Ceylon teas in Sri Lanka and so like so that it just it's a grade of tea is uh, what it means so if your okay. listeners are questioning like what what orange pico is it really means a Ceylon okay yeah. yeah I never heard of that yeah okay. Uh, number 10 on the list is Sencha from Japan, mm-hmm. the most popular green tea in Japan. Mm-hmm. The leaves are exposed to direct sunlight and yields the highest quality version. I'm not going to say this. Maybe you can say it, Ichiban Cha. Oh, Ichiban Cha, okay. Mm-hmm. That one apparently has the highest quality. Mm-hmm. And this tea pairs well with seafood and rice. Yeah. Would you agree? I think yeah, if you're talking about pairing food pairings, which is like a whole category of conversation there, um, yeah, I think sencha is definitely perfect for seafood and rice. Because if you think about it culturally, 
Japan, Japan is a culture of seafood eating and rice eating people, right? And yeah. so as they were producing their tea and like uh, and making their tea and deciding like what the tea should taste like for themselves, it makes sense that they would make they create a tea that that uh, pairs well with their own cuisine, right? Yeah. So absolutely, tastes really good with yeah. seafood and rice. <clears throat> it's like red wine and Italian food or something. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> they would. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so awesome. So did um, did you have anything else that you wanted to add to that that top ten? Um, how about this? What's the number one tea in your tea house? I, I would say black tea. Yeah, black tea. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. I think it's pretty accurate. Actually, I would say black tea matcha are probably our two most popular teas mm -hmm. in our shop as far as sales goes. Um, it, what's not on that list, which is herbals, which is, we know it's not a tea, but as a category of uh, brewed beverages, black tea and herbals are the, actually the top two. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then um, yeah, I would say that list is pretty accurate. Uh, mm -hmm. like that, yeah, so black is definitely up there. As an American, you know, as for Americans, black tea, that's what that's what we were, had always drunk um, as a country, and so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's go into the medicinal benefits of some of these that we just listed. So I had, uh, and feel free to interject here as well, I had looked into some research on the benefits of tea and the various types of tea. And so I came across an article or research journal called Free Radical Biology and Medicine and this was done in 2021, and what they did was they collected a bunch of high-quality literature from Web of Science core collection and PubMed databases. They provided a comprehensive and updated understanding of the health benefits of tea and its compounds with special attention paid to the relevant molecular mechanisms and how each tea type operated medicinally. So we're going to go through like the overall categories and then I'm going to give you just a couple of examples of how this is, is beneficial. Okay. Okay, so we'll start with white tea, mm -hmm. right? So white tea had anti-obesity properties. Mm. Okay, so this suppresses appetite. It inhibits the digestion and absorption of lipids, which are fats, in case mm -hmm. you don't know. It restrains the adipogenesis and lipogenesis. So what's that? what does that mean in lay terms? That means that it is going to halt the gen... The, the, we can't use the same word to describe a word, right? So genesis means to make, right? Mm -hmm. So it's going to halt the making of fat and fat cells. Mm. So it's also going to promote lipolysis. Anytime you hear the word lysis, think to break or to take apart. So it's actually going to break down fat, mm. Okay. Then it's going to help with the obesity-related inflammation. So this is really good for, I think everybody has inflammation, mm -hmm. uh, especially if you live in this country. Um, and then it helps with the gut microbiota. So that one is quite lovely. So anybody interested, and you always hear about green tea, like, you yeah. know, use green tea if you're trying to lose some weight. Um, so I was pretty surprised to see that white tea was actually the one they touted mm -hmm. as being anti-obesity. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. That's really cool. I mean, 
I had been noticing that like in China, there's been kind of like an uptick in popularity for white tea and uh, the way that they, for a lot of those reasons, you know, mm-hmm. for weight management and such. Um, and th- they have been drinking it a lot more recently and have been uh, the way that they, pre- like it's shown as being prepared. You can brew it the way you normally would just like hot water and such, but um, boiling it, putting it in a in a kettle, and then boiling it uh, will actually release more of those properties and um, just make it much more accessible for your body to digest. Oh, wow. this process, yeah. Don't be surprised if you have people coming into to Miro now <laughs> and getting white tea. You know, it's a funny thing. It was like when I first opened, like as was like sixteen years ago. Um, it was like maybe a year or two later. Like I just didn't get all these people wanting white tea, and I was like, "What is with that?" And it turned out it was because it was a Snapple commercial. About <laughs> <laughs> white tea. Uh, oh snap! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh snap! Yeah. Okay. So, and then I might need your help on this one because um, the study here mentions dark tea. So I'll have you go into that after I give the mm-hmm. benefits of dark tea. Um, so this one is anti-inflammatory and anti-diabetic. So going a little bit into the microbiology of it or chemistry of this, this is going to inhibit the pro-inflammatory mediators. Um, and if, if, if anyone's had immunology, you'll know what I'm talking about. So this is going to help with all of the in, in, interleukins, the cytokines, the inflammatory response, and it's going to quiet it. So there's less inflammation, um, interleukin beta, interleukin 12, um, TNF-alpha. These are all implicated and released in a state of inflammation, which causes more inflammation. So this is going to quiet that inflammatory response. So that's pretty cool. And then going into the anti-diabetic piece, it's going to protect the pancreatic beta cells, which produce insulin. And so it's going to help with insulin resistance, and it's also going to help with um, inhibiting the absorption of carbohydrates. Again, this is another one that's going to help with the gut microbiome. I would honestly say all these teas are going to be helpful mm-hmm. for the microbiome. So mm-hmm. we'll just say that and get that out of the way. So yeah, so this the, the dark teas are really good for inflammation and diabetes. So do you want to give us like an example of what a dark tea would be? Because some people might think, oh, black tea, yeah. right? English yeah. tea or yeah. something. I mean, um, dark tea is anything that has gone through the post-fermentation process, like we were talking about with pu'er. So pu'er as a category is um, considered to be a dark tea. But dark tea in general refers to any tea that goes through that that process. Uh, pu'er is only called pu'er because it's from Yunnan province. Uh, post-fermented tea from other regions is referred to as dark tea. So Hunan uh uh, is like is a popular is another like well known region for producing dark tea, and um, so like you know you have ripe and raw. Ripe uh, raw is the original version of um, what's of uh, of um, I guess I don't know if they would consider that as a dark tea, but is ripe ripe raw. I'm sorry, raw is the is the original version of dark tea. But then the um, but dark tea really is means it's been aged for a long time. Mm. But um, but because there has been a sh- like 
people, their popularity of um, poor has made it so that um, these kind of aged teas are uncommon and difficult to find. Um, so you, so what they've done is that in the seventies they created what's considered to be ripe poor, um, and that is a an accelerated very ver, um, version of the raw poor. So by accelerating that um, that slow comp, like composting almost in a way of the tea leaf material, uh, it darkens the tea. It creates that, that it basically becomes like a black tea. However, uh, it gets uh, you have these other bacteria that's introduced to it. And and through that process, uh, you have this kind of like this wonderful um, chemistry that happens between the existing enzymes of the tea leaf and the moisture that's in there and the bacteria that's ultimately is introduced to it. And, uh, and you then have this kind of like this tea that when you drink it has these certain benefits um, to the body. Uh, and uh, like I said, it's, Poor is the original form of tea, and if you imagine back in the day, if this is all, I'm sure, you know, as all things, amazing things are, it all was created by accident, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, the you know, the thousands of years ago when tea was first discovered, as you imagine, when they were making tea, they didn't have special machinery to process tea, right? They didn't have special machinery to to cook tea, so they didn't do it. They didn't cook it all the way. It was not you know, thorough in the way that it was being made. It was kind of rough, more primitive mm-hmm. form of tea making. Um, when they had to dry the leaf and compress it, the tea leaf still had to have some level of moisture that was in there in order for it to be compressed, you know, pressable, right? Or they just didn't have the big, you know, uh, tea dryers that they have now to fully dry the leaf. So there is some level of moisture that's in the leaf. So therefore you have a certain level of enzymes that are still preserved in the leaf that didn't get completely killed off during the kill green process. And you have some percentage of moisture that is um, still in the leaf that is typically higher than like, like let's say green tea oolongs or whatnot. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that moisture, that enzyme, um, that, that combination of which is what gives you that like kind of natural evolution of the tea leaf um, which then evolves into these kind of beneficial um, compounds that that we end up finding in in dark teas. Yeah, I often think that you know, like medicine in general, we come across it accidentally mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. And in then, nature, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, well, I ate that and didn't die. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I actually felt like my muscle felt better. Yeah. You know, this is like how they yeah. came across arnica and stuff like that. Correct. But anyways, um, yeah, sometimes things are divine intervention. Mm-hmm. I know, sometimes known as an accident. Yeah. Okay, so yellow tea. So yellow tea is liver protective. Mm. Okay, so that's protection from drugs or pollutants in the air or what we eat. Protection from alcoholic liver disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and protection from viral hepatitis. So any thoughts on yellow tea? Because honestly, I have no idea what an example of a yellow tea would be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, a yellow tea is typically, you would find it in the green tea category in uh, any tea shop that might carry yellow tea. Um, because it's really more of a green tea, but it has this kind of an additional process that it goes through where um, rather than the traditional typical pan firing that most Chinese green teas go through, it has 
um, what they do is they they cover it, uh, and then it's what and as it's heating, it's it's considered to be a smothering process, and so it's kind of heating it it's in its own steam and its own like it's mm. it's kind of being bathed in its own steam as it's being heated, you know, and um, and for whatever reason that changes the 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 way that it heats and the way what it actually ultimately produces and flavor and whatnot is is different than just a regular green tea. Um, yeah, we used to carry green, uh, yellow tea early, early on, like the first couple of years at Miro, and it was very unknown. It's still pretty well, pretty much unknown still. It's like it mm-hmm. remains to be pretty elusive and difficult to find because the extra steps that it takes to make yellow tea, mm-hmm. there aren't very many farmers who are willing to do that anymore um, just because there isn't that demand for it so much. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it usually has a, um, I, mean, the, I mean, I'll say the, the, the brew actually does look more yellow, and um, and the flavor is a little bit more nuttier and a little bit deeper. It's like a deeper steam almost in in terms of the flavor. Yeah, yeah. I would I would like to get my hands on some of that. You know, I, you know, definitely for patients who I have so many patients who need to clear out their liver and mm. tonify the liver, mm-hmm. and I even have some patients who have hepatitis. It's like wow. That'd be incredible to be able to source that one. Yeah, for yeah. for that. I, I mean, so. I probably can just ask around and just see if like who's still making yellow tea mm-hmm. these days. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so here's my favorite oolong. Yeah. <laughs> so oolong is neuroprotective, mm. which is a big deal because I mean, honestly, you know, I think that people. People understand that cardiovascular disease is probably number one Mm -hmm. as a problem and Mm -hmm. number one cause of death in Mm -hmm. the U.S. Mm -hmm. But really, dementia and Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. is kicking in Mm -hmm. and you're starting to see, I don't know if that's because of baby boomers or what have you and we're living longer. Blue light toxicity, yeah. just get all this electrical EMF stuff right. and drugs and right. GMOs, all of that. Yeah. But the point of that is that dementia is a problem. Yep. And so when I see a tea that is neuroprotective, I get pretty excited about that as a naturopath because mm-hmm. I do, you know, work with patients who who have issues with memory mm-hmm. recall. So what oolong does is decrease oxidative stress. It also, here's the big thing, it prevents hippocampal damage. The hippocampus is a part of the brain that stores memory. It's one part of the brain that stores memory. So we used to believe that this was the only part of the brain where memories were stored, Mm -hmm. which would kind of suck because if you ever had a lesion in that area, you're screwed for all memory, right? But we know that memory is in different places, but the hippocampus is a big one. So if we're able to protect the hippocampus from degradation, degradation, then you can maintain and preserve memory. So this is a big deal. So also add to that, here's something that's really interesting for people who have allergies is that oolong is going to decrease the release of secretory IgA, IgE, and the ratio IgG1 to IgG2 ratio. What the heck does that mean if you don't know immunology again? What that means is these are um, going to play a role in the immune response. So they are proteins that get released when you have an allergy response, for example. So... This is going to help decrease the allergy response and decrease autoimmune response. 
specifically the IgG1 and IgG2 ratio, mm-hmm. when those get flip-flopped, flip-flopped, then you have an increased like autoimmune response. It just really kicks into high gear and it's hyperbolic. So that's really amazing to learn that oolong can help with the allergy front and with the autoimmune front. Interesting. Yeah. I never, never in a million years would have thought that. that <laughs> I know this with, yeah. incredible research out there that uh-huh. no one really talks about, yeah. you know? So, yes, and of course, I know you love oolong. Is there anything else to note about oolong? Or I will say this, um, you know, you know how they, ha- they they roll them up. So yeah. this is unique to oolong, yeah, right? Yeah. And I imagine, do they, you know, whenever I get oolong, it's most of them are rolled into little balls. Like someone took their fingers and just started rolling yeah. each and every <laughs> single leaf, you know? And I think of how arduous that would be. They, well, how did they do that? Well, so for, I mean, they, they actually do do that for some green teas, like like jasmine pearls and such oh, yeah. are like are hand rolled and like and it is pretty arduous. The the um, the oolongs, um, what's fascinating about them is that they're not hand rolled, but they do go through like if like a long process of multi steps of of um, what they do is they the tea plant the tea leaves usually typically with an oolong they are harvesting you're talking about the rolled one yes. particularly like from China and Taiwan the Tianguanyin or like the high mountain oolongs and such um, they are harvesting for two leaves and a bud and plus the stem right so you have this kind of like it's it's a pretty bulky thing that that you're looking at right so it's about like probably about three inches long and you have these leaves sprouting out somehow they're able to magically get that large thing into like this tight little like, you know, pellet, right? And what they do is it's a it's the process of wilting and then they heat it up, they roll it, it goes through a, like a rolling process. And um, traditionally it would be hand rolled. So they would be taking a, like a bamboo mat with the tea leaves and then by hand they would be kind of kneading and rolling the plant in a way to bruise the plant. And that bruising process is what kind of is breaking down the cell structure of the leaf and stem, which is then exposing the kind of the internal, like, you know, the kind of the oils and, and liquids out of that. And I wonder if that's what's mm. the the health benefits is why, you know, is that it's that bruising, that royal, rolling process, because they do that multiple times. They do that, they stuff it actually then into a kind of a large sack and in that sack, they then, if it was done like, you know, 50 years ago or so or more, it would they would have been like stand putting it in a um in this like kind of concaved stone thing, and then they would tighten the thing up and uh, make a really, really tight ball out of the bag, and then they would have a board on top, and then they would kind of stand on top of the board and then they would rock back and forth, rock back and forth, and that would cause like a like a kneading, rolling uh, effect on, in the bag, which then um, uh, in the, le- the leaf itself, it starts like twisting the leaf, twisting, 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 and then they'll take it out, they'll loosen it up, and then they'll put it back in and then they'll do it again and it keeps twisting into like a tight wire till it becomes like, you know, until it rolls into it itself. And they can do that up to like 20 different steps, 20 different times. Um, nowadays, they use machines to do that. Sure. Uh, but it's still the same, um, same components of that bag and the rolling and um, bringing it out. It's still a human that is uh, managing that process and is like taking it out and observing it and seeing 
what the next step should be. And so um, it's very tedious. Uh, it's very much every tea farmer I've ever met in Taiwan, like they are heroes. They they really do it for the passion and the love of it. And um, and they are true, true artists because it's a, it's a constant like watching over and testing and tasting and, and observing um, to get that kind of perfect tea made. Oh, yeah. Gosh. I have, I just, I have so much respect for that kind of labor and that art, right? It's a labor yeah. of love. Yeah, and, absolutely. And most people don't realize how much work goes into <gasps> yeah. having a cup of tea. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, if you, I've traveled to so many tea growing countries now and just to even get to the farms is typically an arduous task, just that in itself, let alone be the farmer who is growing the tea um, spending the time to like manage the weather and the conditions and making sure the soil is good and the and you know that the that they're you know they're having to manage the crops because like let's say they're growing organically they don't they want to make sure that the insects are not invading let's say right and uh, and then to grow the tea to harvest it and then just like wine tea makers are very much like winemakers where they are the farmers and the makers right the producers and so so then they have to be um, talented and skilled enough to be able to then make the final tea product that is ultimately going to sell. And then let's say you finish the tea, you finish making the tea, then you have to go through the process of getting it down the mountain <laughs> to the buyers, right? And yeah. Uh, it's a, it's, and yeah, it's a, it's a life that I don't, like rationally, I don't understand how people choose, but then you have so many people who have chosen that life and it's it's a it's a dedication it's it's a huge dedication and um and i it's i see like when i knowing that i'm always like man this cup of tea should be like so much more expensive yeah, okay. <laughs> this amount of work that's been put into it and like and i i i am just so like yeah impressed by the whole process yeah. and by the people who make it yeah, I mean, I think it's important for people to know that because even I have, you know, found myself saying, well, you know, this is a expensive, yes. right? You know, um, ceremony that I do every morning, correct? You know, and in hearing how much labor and love and patience goes into it, it's sacred. It absolutely is, and I can say that with like a hundred percent authority that it is sacred because. Unlike um, conventional tea, like you'll find like conventional coffee, conventional tea, any kind of conventional product out there is completely machine made, right? And um, But in specialty tea, which is what we specialize in and what uh, we only carry, uh, is it's completely 100% handmade. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and each of these teas, uh, the amount of care and amount of like effort, when I feel like anything where a person puts that much labor, personal labor and personal craft and like, and years and years of dedication to sac of sacrifice to be able to make something um, seems so innocuous, you know, like a tea, like a tea leaf, right? Mm -hmm. A cup of tea, right? It just seems like so innocent and mundane maybe in, in mm -hmm. certain, in certain perspectives, but the amount of effort that is poured into making something that is what seems to be so simple. Um, I think there's an essence of that person that gets put into that product, honestly. And then when we ingest that tea, we are able to then like have a connection and ingesting that energy and the kind of the love that is poured into that tea. And I think that is the magic, honestly. That is the chi, that is the energy, and that is the life 
that that makes tea different from from other products. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. There's there's an energy download there, mm-hmm. you know, from from the person, but also taking it further up to the sun in the energy that goes into oh gosh, yeah, photosynthesis yes. and. You know, everybody's a product of photosynthesis yeah. and a product of each other. Absolutely. You know, like, I think that's beautiful the way to think about it. Yeah, it's it's everything that is living on our planet, right? Goes contributes into the making of tea. And um that is yeah, that's something that we don't think about in a day to day. But when we drink tea we're we, it's a it's a reminder of yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. I don't think we get any energy from Snapple. No. <laughs> As much as they try to sell us on that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's go into black tea, everybody's favorite. Black tea is amazing. Listen to this. So black tea is anti-cancer. And anti-cancer. And it's cardiovascularly protective. Okay, so here's what happens on the cancer front. So it inhibits the cell proliferation. So the cancer cell itself, it inhibits it. It also causes apoptosis. So if there is a cancer cell, it busts it. Mm. It breaks it. Okay? It also will suppress the invasion of it, the migration of it, and the metastasis, so the spreading of it. It also inhibits angiogenesis. So what is angiogenesis? Again, remember, genesis is to make or to create, right? Mm -hmm. So angio is blood vessel. Mm. So what tumors do mm. is they make their own highway of blood vessels mm-hmm. so that they can supply themselves with nutrients to survive. So what black tea does is it inhibits the production of this highway of blood vessels that would normally feed them mm. and it halts that. So that's amazing, mm-hmm. right? I didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. You know. Fascinating. So, okay. On the cardiovascular front, we're looking at it being anti-atherosclerosis. So it prevents the hardening of the arteries. It's protective of the endothelial function, regulates lipid metabolism. And here's what's really cool. It's anti-platelet and anti-hypertensive. So typically... I need my husband to drink more black tea then. (laughs) You normally would think that with caffeine that your blood pressure is going to go up, right, because of the vasoconstriction. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's anti-hypertensive and Mm anti-platelet. So just incredible medicine, Mm -hmm. right? I think, and this is why I wanted to, to bring you on, and we'll go over green tea here in a minute. But... Most tea houses don't understand that they're actually selling medicine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I, this is what I talk about. The medicine is everywhere. And sometimes it's taken for granted. As we were talking about all the labor and all the love and bringing in photosynthesis and all the things that need to happen to, you know, get to your table as a pot of tea. This is all the medicine. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, science is slow. Yep. Nature is fast. Yep. Yep. <laughs> right? yep. So science goes. Oh wait, hold on, hold yeah. on. Wait, this is actually medicinal. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, I think um, I've always felt that with tea, uh, that like innately, I just had this. Always had this instinct and this feeling that if if 
there was a creator, you know, if there's a God and the creator put all of these things on this earth for their, you know, for us to ingest, right? I always felt that tea was the plant that was designed for us to ingest for our own health. It was a, it's a very much specifically for humans, designed for humans, for human ingestion and for our benefit. And so um, that all of that just makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. It seems like a very thorough list and um, yeah. yeah, and very complete. And, and as with all things that are medicinal, it's really about drinking it on a regular basis, right? Because yeah. it's, it's a compounding benefit versus like, you know, you're not going to, it's, you know, it's not a pill, right? That you're going to like yeah. drink a cup of tea and it's going to fix you, but you create a lifestyle around it and mm-hmm. a ritual around it. It will, it will support you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's about consistency. consistency and that's with yeah. that. That's with everything. Yeah. Um, Okay, so last but not least on the list is green tea. And nobody will be surprised to hear that the benefits of green tea is antioxidation properties. Uh-huh. So it's a scavenger of free radicals. And here's what some of you might not know is that it will chelate heavy metals. So if there's a heavy metal burden, maybe you've had mercury fillings, amalgam fillings, mm-hmm. uh, too many vaccinations, which we know there's definitely heavy metals in those as well. Uh, I mean, really, honestly, you can get metal from a lot of places. So uh, this is really fantastic for the heavy metals. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, green tea is probably the most researched out of all the teas because Japan has its own institute where um, they do a lot of science-tific um, research on around tea, and because Japan produces almost only uh, green tea, there's there's their studies are going to be centered around green tea. So yeah, the inf- the 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 sci- the research out there is more abundant in green tea. But so I'm not surprised that yeah. there's like all of that. But yeah, it's it's definitely you know matcha being the most popular of the green teas right now, um, probably the most consumed of mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's like highly consumed for its benefits. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Do you have any um, teas that you're really looking at supporting um, the community with through fall and winter? Um, so I, I'm I'm more of a like a Chinese traditional medicine kind of a person uh, when it, my approach to health and medicine. Um, it's uh, and traditionally in Chinese medicine in this time of the year, you would be drinking things that are supportive to keep you um, constitutionally warm. You know, because if you're living somewhere that's very cold, um, when you get that, like, you know, I think as Americans, a lot of people are like, oh, like raw food all year long, you know, and like, and, and, uh, and just like, raw veggies or like, you know, veganism and such like that. And like, fine, it's, you know, it's people's choice. It's fine. But in traditional Chinese medicine, you know, there's a time of the year for eating that that's beneficial. And then if you eat it in certain times of year, it can be very harmful because it can be very depleting. And um, our digestion in this time of the year is wanting nourishment, wanting support because the seasons have changed and um, it's needing to um, be like, it needs, you need to give it some level of like natural 
fire, the yang energy in some form. And so you typically like roasted teas are beneficial, like darker teas are beneficial. Um, like especially like roasted oolongs are good. Um, any, any of that help like kind of maintain the kind of inner vitality of our, mm. of our gut and our immune system. Um, it, it supports that um, because what happens is that when you get chilled, constitutionally get too cold, like you get, you leaned more yin on the energy spectrum, um, then you are more susceptible to getting sick um, and you're more susceptible for viruses and all that stuff. And so, uh, so I always suggest to drink things that are more warming. Um, and uh, it does like, obviously tea is warming, but you're talking about green tea versus black tea. Um, as far as like the yin yang, green tea is considered to be yin and uh, black tea is considered to be yang. And uh, and so in the fall, winter time, typically people are more needing more of the yang energy to um, to keep them balanced. Uh, there are people who are yang all year round. So maybe they just need more, they can do the green tea, you know, but like, but generally that is the cycle. Like you do the green teas, the lighter teas um, in the summertime because it's warm. If, it's, if you're living somewhere really hot, you want to be drinking something that is more on the yin side. Um, so yeah, that's generally like the kind of the school of thought. And that's how I usually like, like okay. suggest teas. But what's interesting is that like people come in and you have people who have um, negative reactions uh, to green tea or oolongs or black teas. And you find that it's it, it actually does seem to pair to their own constitution. You have somebody who seems to have more like heat and inflammation in their body they um, they need a green tea, but they've been drinking black teas a lot, you know, and so they need the balance. They, I recommend them to go try out green teas, you know, um, and vice versa. You have somebody who is like very, um, tends to be like energetically like low energy, tends to be cold a lot, like cold hands, you know, cold limbs and and um, tends to, like that that person, I'd like to try out something that's on the darker side and to like kind of give you some of that, um, that like kind of more like heat energy to help balance, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so yeah, that's really what it's about. It's, okay. it's just about creating harmony within within your own body. I love that. And you're listening to your body too to see yes. what constitutionally Correct. you're yeah. responding well to. And I love that right. you mentioned basically circadian, mm. you know, and yes. just being, you know, in alignment yes. with, with, the with, with the seasons. Yes, yes, correct. And like, and, and that's why tea has so many different categories, right? It's like, it's so that there is a tea for you in every season, but there's also beyond that, there's a tea for each person, you know, for each individual constitution, there is a tea that is a soul match for you, you know, it's a body match for you. So it's a matter of like finding, drinking a lot of teas to find that match because that tea has the kind of the, the, the all the benefits that kind of like feeds you you personally, right? We need to create like a tea app. You know, these, I know, find these. your soulmate. <laughs> it's like a tea. That'd be awesome. Are you a match? <laughs> Is this tea a match for you? <laughs> you have 50 questions and you find you the perfect oh tea. Oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I actually wonder what I would be matched with. But anyways, I, I feel pretty good with the oolongs. Yeah. I wanted to ask about rooibos because that one is a go-to for mm -hmm. a nice winter warming mm -hmm. hot decaf mm -hmm. beverage. Mm -hmm. How do you make that? 
Rebus? Yeah. Rebus is, falls in the herbal category. So it like, it's, I would make it the same way as I would rec- make any herbal tea, which would be, um, you would uh, steep it with hot, uh, boiling water. And there's no time limit for that. Almost honestly, with any herbal teas, you want to go like five minutes or more to really extract the essential oils and all the benefits from the herb. And so rooibos, which is, comes from South, which herb, rooibos is so interesting. It's such yeah. a weird I know. thing. It, like, it, it's, um, it only grows in South Africa, but it only grows in, um, in like, uh, I forgot what the name of the mountain is now, uh, Cape Town, South Africa, Africa. And it only grows on like one side of the mountain in like South Africa. So it's like very specific. And it's like, it's not something that they can... Um, that they can grow as you know, like a farm or something like that. It's like it's, it's usually just all wild, and um, and uh, it has like really it has it's been tested to have really really high amounts of antioxidants, more than green tea actually, and it's also antispasmodic, so it helps like 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 relieve tension in the in the muscles and and kind of has like a relaxing effect um, on for people, and so. Um, but yeah, for as far as brewing it, like it, there's also green and uh, oxidized red rooibos. So um, the green one is has kind of like almost like a tart, um, citrusy kind of a greenish flavor to it. And then the red rooibos has like a earthier, kind of richer, fruity flavor to it. Um, but uh, both of them, you just brew it with boiling water and you like steep it for up to you know five minutes or more uh, to to get the flavor. Yeah. Fascinating. I would say for all of you people who haven't ever had tea before, that's another good one to try. Yeah. Um, for hot beverages, if you want to not have caffeine at yes. night and have something that's that's relaxing less. and yeah, yes. uh-huh. it's such a good flavor too. Mm-hmm. As latte, yes, like a latte style. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Awesome. Do you plan on having any classes yes, for the public? Yes, we are working to get that going. Um, so our store, our, our our shop, we used to have classes in our shop quite regularly. And then COVID happened and then we um, we stopped doing that. We were doing online classes for a little bit of time and then we stopped doing that. And then so now we're trying to get back into the in-person classes again. Um, longer vision, like I just um, acquired a, a space um, in Ballard, uh, very close to our shop, and we're, we're renovating it to be what, uh, our, what I'm going to be called our Miro Tea Studio. And um, that will be like a very different vibe from our tea shop right now, which is like, you know, kind of a bustling neighborhood tea shop. Mm-hmm. The tea studio will be primarily be used for workshops, for classes, um, collabs with other like, you know, like like-minded businesses and um, and also like kind of very special, like, you know, reservation only like tea experiences and such. And so um, we're, so long-term we will be having tea classes much, much more regularly. But in the short term, we are like working to try to find, um, trying to figure out what day and time would be best for for implementing a tea class, just because you've been in the shop, yeah, you know it's like it gets really crowded and it gets really mm-hmm. busy. So I'm trying to find like which day is the ideal day for people to be able to come in, and where um, it's not going to be too rowdy in the store, and like people are going to be able to find parking, you know, in the neighborhood mm-hmm. and whatnot. And so, yeah. Um, but yeah, we're we're definitely wanting to do the classes again. A lot of people have been asking about it recently. So oh yeah, yeah. But as far as like learning more about tea, I mean, um, my guidance would be to A, 
for people who are just starting out in tea or even people who are drinking tea, you know, I really highly encourage people to explore, to start drinking specialty tea, you know. So that means when you go to the grocery store, you know, look away from the Lipton's or the tea bags, you know. I mean, even there are some tea bags teas that are pretty good these days, but um, but kind of start looking at the, the brands, um, then the types of teas that are in the tins that are served loose, you know, there, I mean, that is a good start. Um, because any tea that's made for loose drinking where you just have to use an infuser, it's pretty simple to make a cup of tea. Um, it's, uh, that, that is where you want to start because starting to develop the habit of like choosing tea over coffee is the beginning. And then there is such a wide world of tea out there that just start drinking a lot of, just start drinking a variety of tea, right. And explore and like, and, and start becoming in tune with yourself and um, and be okay with maybe like your own self judgment of the tea. Like just be like, oh, this tea's not really s- saying speaking to me, right? Like I'll I'll choose another one. Like you know, like oh, what am I experiencing here? Is like you know, is there am I feeling something different when I drink this tea, or is this tea taste you know special to me that's different from other another tea? And and start kind of examining that process within yourself as you're drinking tea. And and so in the beginning. So, so it becomes more than just drinking tea, right? It's becoming like kind of an exercise of like self-connection and like entrusting your own tastes and your own instincts about something. But so it becomes that as almost like as an activity. But um, but drinking tea as um, as you're discovering what tea you like best is is a journey, you know, as it was for me and a lot of tea drinkers out there. You can't possibly find your tea soulmate until you drank a lot of tea, and so. Um, so don't be afraid to just go out there and just try it out, right? And like um, our shop is a resource for teas, absolutely. And like, and as far as how you you want to like how to make the tea, I mean, me and my um, tea tenders at the shop, employees all are very knowledgeable of um, and be able to provide guidance on that. But a lot of like like great tea shops out there in the country, there's so many of us out there who are um, just happy and eager to guide people in their tea journey and um, and show people how best way to make tea that fits their lifestyle, you know? And um, so, yeah, just just start drinking it, you know, and uh-huh. uh, start exploring what's out there beyond the tea bag, you know? And don't let the fact that you just need a infuser <laughs> as an additional instrument to intimidate you too much, you know? Um, but just know that for the exchange of that little inconvenience, uh, you are drinking something that is vastly better and um and vastly more personal because there is like a like a real human behind the making of that tea and there is like actual like multi-generation of knowledge and craftsmanship that's behind that tea and so it's a it becomes a very special experience mm-hmm. because of that and can people buy tea from you online if they don't live in Washington absolutely yeah yeah oh, great. Um, mirotea.com m-i-r-o-t-e-a.com We've, uh, we started our website uh, during the pandemic, even though we've been open for 16 years. We, we all, I only got my butt going on getting the website going when uh, the pandemic hit. And so, but since then, it's been, it's been up and running for really well. And people can, yeah, Canada and U.S. are able to buy tea from the website. Excellent. And yeah. we'll put that in the show notes so everybody knows how to find you, you. in or yeah. out of state. Yeah. 
Oh, it was so fun to be with you today and yeah. talk tea. Yeah, you as well. Oh. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be here. Yeah. yeah. I think we'll have to do a second one and maybe go into some herbals. That'd be fun. Uh, some Absolutely. herbal blends. So, yeah. 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 Awesome. I'll see you this Friday coming for, for my three bags. Okay. <laughs> We always love seeing Dr. D in the shop, so (laughs) looking forward to it. We hope this conversation has empowered you. Remember, you are unique and you are a miracle. Your body doesn't make mistakes. It responds perfectly to an imperfect environment. Until next time, go get that life.